welcome to Cinema Cemetery, where we lay to rest the best of the best. I'm Kate. And I'm Dan. And let's get started. Today we have Cavalcade. Cavalanche. Cattlecade. Cattle Ranch? Cavalcade, 1933. Welcome to episode seven, the sixth best picture. Oof, sixth. We've gone on such a journey already. It seems like it, but it also seems like we're just rounding the corner. We started in 1927. Now it's 1933. I feel like we're back where we started. I kind of do too. And I also feel like I'm so excited for the better movies to start. And I feel like we still have so many movies that are going to be painful to watch. Yes, but I think this might have been the last of the worst, That's... so to speak. You would know. You've seen them all before. Speaking of which, this was the final movie I've ever seen uh, for the best pictures. I had seen them all years ago, and this one was not available until actually 2010. I did some research. It came out, and it was on DVD, but you had to be rich to get it. Oh, why what, Why did you have to be rich? There was a, a 75th anniversary Fox Studios uh packet $500 for the whole thing. I think they what? had yeah, several hundred movies in $500? there. Yeah, and that was the only way to get Cavalcade uh, until 2010 and then I, I just read they did a 2013 release by itself on Blu-ray and that was only because they got so many write-in complaints about it. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Following watching this film, this is not worth five hundred dollars for anything in any in any. Situation, I mean, it would be part of ever. a set, part of a set, but yeah, that the, there's a reason no. this was never released at all until so, very recently. All right, um, I did want to begin this episode because Rotten Tomatoes has a lot to say about this film. I believe it was like twenty two percent of approval um on the on the rotten tomato site maybe don't quote me um but the comments were great and i was having while dan was doing some legitimate research on the film i was reading the rotten tomatoes comments and i think to really set this tone a comment from alex w on may 3rd 2014 gave it one and a half stars and says this is a poor man's forest gump showcasing a series of big historical events from the turn of the century in England in the most straightforward way possible. And Alex W., shout out to you, because you're right. And that that comment really sets the tone for everything we're about to talk about. As I watched the movie, I was trying to think of what best to compare it to, and Forrest Gump is pretty much it. It's also a poor man's <laughs> Cimarron, and if you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland, it's a poor man's carousel of progress. Whoa. Never been there. Yeah. I, I I only went to Epcot, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. No. Carousel okay. of Progress is cheesy but fun. This, however, was not. Let's start. It's called Cavalcade. And I, I you know, Cavalcade is one of those words that you hear and you know what it means, but you don't actually know what it means because no one ever uses it. I looked it up, and it's interesting. It has Tell two me. meetings. One is a procession of some sort, usually referring to a horse-drawn procession. And then the second is to be caught up in a whirlwind of events. And I thought, I think both of those really... There were definitely some horse-drawn processions in the movie. There were definitely horse-drawn processions, and the characters are caught up in, in a whirlwind of events. But also think about what it means to be carried along in a procession, right? You're moving. Usually it's a funeral. 
Yes, or and you're moving against your will, right? You, you you have no choice but to be carried along. The horse is doing the work, and you're just there traveling down. Unless you decide to step aside or and, stand still. Yeah, and so normally you hear cavalcade. I think back to when we were in my favorite year, the King Kaiser's comedy cavalcade, and you think, wow, wow what a what a spectacle, what a fun thing. But Dan's throwing back to high school. This was not. This was this was not. And uh, so just some background, if you haven't seen the film, which is an interesting choice. I suggest you watch these movies if you're listening. But if you haven't seen the film, it's... Maybe watch Cavalcade after a few beers. Yes. <laughs> Came out in 1933. It begins in 1899. It's set in England, and everyone's excited. The turn of the century. A new millennium! The 1900. Everyone's in the... Sh- Not new millennium. Okay, Whatever you want. Yes. I look at it as the new millennia, but like it's fine. The new millennium was in 2001, which is a different movie. Anyway. They're in the street, 1900. Everybody's excited. However, some people are going off to war the next day. Uh, and then it's really a series. Of the Boer Wars. The Boer Wars. Which the first of the Boer Wars. Might have been a thing that England knows about. We really don't talk about them in the United States. We had to do we some don't. little research here. Uh, and then there's a series of vignettes, really, and we see the same four to six characters off and on uh, over the, the next, next 33 years. The 33, okay. The, the, really, it's the next 18, uh, and then they kind of jump to and modern day. And do they age rapidly? Badly. They don't actually give ages except for the children, but, uh, but assuming... They get old. Yeah, assuming the parents are, even if we say that they're... 35 at the beginning they they are somehow 90 at the end <laughs> That's they, aggressive. They, they're like hunched over with completely white hair and <laughs> maybe people aged quicker back slow. then i don't know maybe they just needed more wrinkle cream and unclear some major events and it's interesting as we watched it we we kind of missed some of them because they threw some dates out that the modern united states just doesn't recognize also uh, we weren't super paying attention uh, yeah yeah Dan um, was so bored he was like complaining the whole time uh, we'll we'll get to some of the reasons <laughs> I had some issues with it, but some of the major events include uh, the death of Queen Victoria, the flight of uh, I think I'm getting this right. Is it Louis Berleroy flying across Leroy. the English Channel? Historic Titanic. flight at the time, the Titanic, World War One, yeah. uh, and then the end, and then oh. that's it. So there was like a note that was just like blank dead. And I was like, about oh. a about a certain character. Uh, yeah, so so not too many jumps. It seems like maybe a few more than Cimarron. Cimarron was in the same place, and they were more more or less fictional jumps. But these are trying to tap into historical events. So I think that's where the Forrest Gump reference really well, rings true. A lot of the comments too, and I hadn't really put it together. They were like, if you wanted to make a story about a period of time and make it realistic, just do a documentary. Um, but I don't think really documentaries were a huge thing at that point in time. I think this was really the the biggest way to tell that kind of story. I think it was a joke too. You think you think this movie was a joke? No, the the line about the documentary. It wasn't just okay. That's fair, but more than I don't know if that was a serious request, King. I don't think okay. I think it was a suggestion multiple times on the comment thread. I see. Well, let's look at some of our characters because we kind of have to talk about plot and characters at the same time. Okay. Let's get a little bit of detail in there. I liked the dad. So there's, this is almost reminiscent to begin with uh, a number of us said of Downton Abbey. We've got our two different classes going on in the same house. It is Downton Abbey-esque. And also that like nothing happens. Yes. Yes. But everything happens. Very low stakes. Random people die. Uh, 
things like that. So we have our main, I guess you could say our main two characters, though that's the other thing. The characters' names are barely ever mentioned. The characters don't really change aside and also, from No, but like the focus character shift, like in the beginning it's the parents and then as time goes on, the, the kids shift into importance. Whereas like like something for Cimarron, um, oh, what was her name? Sabre. Zebra. Zebra? The Yes. Okay, the, the adults maintain importance throughout the film mm-hmm. whereas this one it definitely shifts they like as the generation shift the focus shifts onto the kids no yeah and i, I would say each each scene kind of has its own leader um jane and robert would be the bookends right so they're, they're yeah. the focus of the first oh, and they're yeah. the focus of yeah. the last so they're generally considered so jane and robert marriott they are the upper class couple and then working in their house we have uh, albert and Ellen. They're the downstairs. And they're the downstairs folks. I don't see their last... Oh, Bridges is their last name. Oh, yeah, because of Fanny. Yes. They the, have a daughter. They just have a brand new daughter, Fanny Bridges. So she's born right at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, and, and that sort of establishes where this story is going to go. We have two di- different families. Now, they're both really caught up. Obviously, they, they live in the same house. And the very next day, we have uh, Robert and Alfred are both off to the Boer Wars. So upstairs and downstairs. And and Robert, like legit, I just kept... Robert and his wife have a very similar relationship to... Um, oh my gosh. Rob, no, I don't watch the show. The Downton Abbey Lord people. Grantham and Lord and Lady Grantham. How yes. did you not watch Downton Abbey? I don't like it. But how do you not... What? I, this is a... Okay, different conversation, but... Robert and his wife are very similar to Lord and Lady Grantham, even in the way that they interact with each other. It's very, I, I don't know. Anyway, so upstairs and downstairs both go to the war together, and miraculously, no one dies. It's a very quick turnaround. They they leave at the beginning of 1900. It looks like the next day. It could have been a few days later, and uh, they, they presumably get yeah, back. Yeah, Fanny doesn't get much older. No. And, and it turns out that Queen Victoria dies when they are celebrating the return. We missed that. We missed it. They don't really talk about it very much in the film. And I did some research. Apparently, she died January two, 1901. So all of the first bit happens within the course of the year. Maybe we didn't. I remember Googling that. Remember? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Know. Anyway. Uh, during this time, we have really not a lot of plot. We have, oh, one more thing. We have Jane and Robert. They have two sons, Edward and Joe, and it's not clear how old they are, probably eight or ten or so. They're they're yeah. young young children, but old enough to run around and have personalities, whereas Fanny's just a little bit younger. Um, when Alfred gets back, Alfred and Ellen, he has decided he's not going to be a servant anymore. He's gotten some money due to uh, some inheritance that's come through. Not a lot, but enough to get a pub off the ground. So Alfred and Ellen, they are out of the service industry. And he's they are bar going into small business they're business owners they've opened up a small business but there's a problem trademark alfred develops alcoholism he becomes a bit rowdy for sure and it's not not necessarily real alcoholism but you know your cartoon alcoholism that you see uh just just like completely drunk fighting everybody all the time yeah and like always raucous and never remorseful and never like it, it, there's no complexity to his character at all. You're correct. Um, he also is always like, his hair is always in his face. Yeah. Like everything is always like in shambles. He looks like an old timey boxer with like a mustache. And... But he had excellent um, like bar clothes. He had the like old timey with like the art, like the arm. Oh, thingies. 
I don't know. You understand. Yeah. Anyway. And so we cut to about eight years later. It's 1908. Alfred is running the bar, but he is apparently not doing bad so well it. for himself. Really bad at it. Drunk all the time. Uh, we have the families meet together for the first time. Uh, it seems to go well. And this is, I would imagine, a little more unusual at the time, having this upper class and uh, commoner family meeting together in a social standing. In fact, Alfred's not having it. And Alfred, mm-hmm. being drunk, causes a fight, runs into the street, gets run over by a horse carriage or something. Sorry, Rob. Sorry, Alfred. Yeah. So he dies. And then don't we move forward like X amount of years? Well, it's just one more year. And we cut to a scene on the beach where we have two children playing. We have uh, Edward and Edith. Edith's just his childhood friend. They're playing together. Uh, And then we have this dancer girl. Um, It's Fanny. Fanny Bridges. Yeah, she's... she's, Fanny's a dancer. She's a young dancer at this point, so she would have only been 9 or 10, and she just won a little contest that they're having on the beach that day, but they're setting up the fact that she's going to be a famous dancer in the context of the story. Dan, I gotta stop you. Even recounting this story is boring to me. It's tough. And then they look up at the sky and they see a random plane, and we in the audience are supposed to know, oh, it's Louis flying across the channel. Okay, let's 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 fast forward this a little bit. So, like, the families are always really nice the, to each other. I think that's the that's the worst stuff. Now that oh, we've got some interesting Clover. stuff coming up um, here. So, like, the, the families are always really nice to each other, the upstairs and the downstairs. As time moves on, um, Fanny becomes this like amazing, famous dancer, and. World War One happens, and um, also Edward, the older son, gets married to the love of his life, and they show him and his wife um, on their honeymoon, proclaiming their love to each other, and they step away, and oh no, they're on the Titanic, and they that die. was the next major jump, the Titanic. Um, and then after that, it's World War One, and so young Joey and Dad both go off to war, and like everything's supposed to be fine. And Joey spots Fanny and he's like, Fanny, hey, remember me? Also, I'm in love with you. And like they get together kind of. And apparently they'd been like secretly dating for like the entire time he was in war. And so Fanny's mom goes to like tell Joey. Well, you're combining mom. a few stories that we see them it meet in 1914. Matter. No one cares. And then we cut to 1918 where the Ellen and uh, Jane meet and they talk about So Joe just as and Joe's Fanny. mom finds out that he's been secretly dating Fanny, she gets a telegram like that moment that tells her that her son has died and she falls to the ground weeping. The dad somehow escapes World War One, aka the meat grinder. And do if if we have to watch one more World War One movie, Dan, I swear. I will just rip my eyes out. Um, We're the, good for a while. The We're dad, good for a little bit. Oh my god! Um, they, the meat grinder. Um, but the dad doesn't die in World War One, and and so let's just skip. It doesn't matter. We fast forward to the end, and it's it's Lord and Lady Grantham just sitting in their old age because now they're like a hundred and five, except it's only been eighteen years, and they are ringing in the new year, reflecting on their life with all the hardships they've seen and been like. This was great. Can we be done with the plot you now? You really zipped through the best parts. We were, we were establishing. The... I was so bored. But yes, we have the Titanic. We had World War I. We have oh Joe God. dying. And then we had the end, <laughs> if you've been following along. So the okay. question is, what? What What the heck? Okay. So, Why make this movie? Okay. So normally Dan offers in defense of... Um, but Dan <laughs> seems to not have any in defense of. And oh no, I have I have plenty, but I know you wanted to start it off. Okay, I'll I'll start. Um, I think in in general, um, I I'm a sucker for Noel Noel Coward. I loved his stuff. Um, I love his plays. 
However, so I was like super pumped that this was an old coward per, pl- uh, play turned into a movie. Except for normally Noel Coward is funnier and tighter with his stories. And he was not very tight with this story. Um, So a little bit of letdown, Noel. I expected a little bit more of you. Um, Frank Lloyd, right? That's the director being brought in. So that was interesting because so Fox Movie Tone put this out. So it's an American movie about a British situation. Um. British characters and and set in Great Britain and Britain history. Um, So what they did was they got a British born but American director so that it would have that feel and have that continuity, which I think was successful, right? Like you couldn't tell that this was an American made movie. You couldn't tell that it really kind of because they had all the elements of Britain within it. So in terms of that and in terms of continuity and accents, obviously were on point and culture from what we understand was on point but also i think at the time it was really well received some of the some of the um reviews were like this was super the most amazing stunning thing ever so i think the audience at the time if we were to go back to 1933 we would be like wow what a great day well i i would agree with a lot of what you just said i knew in the back of my head this was a play as i watched it but i completely forgot as time passed in the couple days since we've seen it thinking of it as a play it's it's not terrible and i think if you saw it as a play it would be a lot better because you would have the same actors right in front of you and you would see them change with makeup and costume and it's very much a uh it it was similar in in style to the the steve jobs movie sort of a a backstage of the major events nobody's actually we don't see the titanic sink but they're they're there we don't know see anybody in war but we see them before during and after uh, yeah, it's 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 that that uh, tangential to history, and I think there's some value there, seeing how the the, the historical events run through the the regular people. Um, but the characters, at least the way they're portrayed in the movie, they are are basically just uh, Fisher Price people, right? They have no, they're just there to give to you the events. The story, uh, we, yeah. You're not really invested in them, especially because they're played by different actors i mean the boys are played by multiple actors the the jane and uh, ellen or jane and ellen and robert are played by the same but you don't really get the sense that they are changing as people things are just happening to them and they are yeah. moving through them yeah i would say that it really is like people are at the mercy of um of the world around them rather than taking Taking stock. Oh, I would say the only one that really does kind of like create her own destiny would be Fanny Bridges. Well, it's interesting. I I was thinking that too. She would probably be, I would say, the main character. You said that, but that didn't really that didn't really hit for me, especially because she didn't bookend. There, like, yeah, we followed her life literally from birth to whenever. But I don't know. I why do you? Here's why I see that. So she. She is born at the beginning of the new century. Okay. Not necessarily the new millennium, but the new century. Oh, my God. Fanny is born, and she is born to a lower-class family. We then see her later when they have split, and she's living on her own. We see the tension there. We see her later when she has won this contest. She's going out on her own. We see her career beginning well at the beginning of World War One. 
We see as she goes through World War One, she's engaged, and maybe there's a chance to make some changes, even though it's difficult. Mm-hmm. We see her fiance ultimately killed. But then remember at the end, the, the this is probably the only part that I saw the movie and thought, oh, this is good. Um, they have these two montages at the end, and they have civil unrest and riots in the streets, strikes, sort of undescript. They have Fanny singing this song about change and uh, chaos, and, and then they have some shots of World War One as well. And it's all mixed together, and I, I imagine it was technically impressive at the time. Yeah. Um, but you sort of see her rise, and not quite fall at the end, but you see how she has gone from the, the hopefulness of the 1910s to the World War One, and, mm. and then now, think about when this movie was made, 1933, you have this global depression going on. Mm. And so the question is, what is happening, right? We had all this hope at the beginning of the century, and now mm-hmm. what are we doing? We've had this giant war. We've lost so many people. The old establishments are gone, and apparently the economy is collapsing too. Happy New Year. Yeah. yeah. It's not really an uplifting that's like getting a speech at your graduation saying the economy is in ruins. Good luck. Right. That happened to us. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, never graduate in 2010 in the middle of an economic crisis. I just did um, some research here because I was like, when did this? The play came out just a few years before the movie. So the, the same things would have applied there. Right, which is interesting because normally around uh, around the Depressionary time, that's when you have Shirley Temple and, well, no, she's wartime. I take that back. But typically, they were trying to do uplifting things in the movies because life was so grim otherwise. And Mm -hmm. this movie was not uplifting. Um, Also interesting was that, who was it? The the lead woman was Diane Wynn. She was nominated for an Oscar but lost to my girl, Catherine Hepburn, my namesake for her performance in, I'm pulling it up right now. My bad for not just like having it right there. Uh, Morning Glory. Mm, Hate it when that happens. Hate it when what happens? You lose to Catherine Hepburn. I know, but she won all the time because she's the best. My girl. Four times. Yeah. Did Meryl Streep beat her yet? Nope. So Catherine Hepburn's still the best? Catherine Hepburn has the most acting Oscars of any person. And, uh, I think it's followed by Jack Nicholson and a couple others at three. Mm. But yeah, yeah. So anyway. yeah, it it was not fun to watch. It was it was not. <laughs> it's not I, I, you you watch. you have this one is one of those ones that it's, you just got to get through it. I would say the it's bad because it aged so badly. I, it'd be interesting to see it at the time. But part of what makes a movie great is its ability to be timeless, and this movie is not that. This movie fails dramatically in that sense and it doesn't even the other thing is it comparing it to uh, a a cimarron which came out a couple years earlier it doesn't cimarron was better cimarron had characters and we were somewhat interested in we were we were rooting for people and it was a story of hope too it was a story of starting from nothing and building something this was a story of you know we are out of control and our lives are being swept along what are we going to do yeah Uh, just not something that you're necessarily interested in even even a movie coming up later like gone with the wind which would cover a similar theme but again that has the benefit of history this is literally uh in in the process nobody knows what's going to happen after 1933 yeah like when we get to the 1940s movies set in the middle of world war ii they 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 end and you're like oh who's gonna win we don't know let's find out whereas this is you you know 
Yes. Just no more. Really? We have World War One movies still coming? How many have we watched? No, I don't one? believe so. I think we have we have a Civil War movie coming up, and then okay if that. we get any more World War One movies, there, it's just referenced. How, and it's how just, many have we watched up until this point? So, so far, we've seen Wings, um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. Cimarron? Cimarron touched into it briefly. Yeah. Cavalcade. And 1932 Grand was Hotel. Grand Hotel. Yeah. That's five. So five of the first six five. have all been about World War One, And isn't that a testament to just what a impact it had? I even know. 20 I'm years thinking about it fact. as I'm complaining. And it was such a horrific situation. And I'm aware. So, like, I'm very giggly tonight. But, like, it was a horrific situation. It was a horrific time. And it, and it did need to be memorialized because it was so horrific. I think... Because we've had the luxury of so many years removed, we have that, you know, we're removed from that trauma, we're removed from that situation in such a way that we can complain. Yeah, I guess the comparison would be just how many, even in 19, even in 2009, 10, 11, 12, uh, how many terrorism 9-11 style movies were still being made. And that was just one day. Yeah. Right. And no, so you're just right. the impact right. Yeah. Of, of that. So, so folks, uh, that's that's Cavalcade. We did it. We we watched it. We're so proud so of ourselves. So you don't have to. <laughs> I just, I you know, it's bad. I, I'm sorry. I had to stop a story plot because I like blacked out at one point from boredom, and I was like, we can't. I can't black out from boredom. Like while I'm also in, I'm like we are recording this podcast and I'm bored. So someone else is probably bored. So speaking of the ranking, let's take a look at the board. We have, um, now so this is our is, sixth best picture, but we actually, this is our seventh episode because we did see uh, another 1962 film in the middle. So I I might say something here. Yeah. You gonna make a change? Um. So Dan preemptively put it at 90 with Broadway Melody being at 91 and I would like to put Cavalcade at 91 you know what Kate I I think we're in total agreement on that one (laughs) okay because at least Broadway Melody had somewhat of a plot or like I don't know like there was some tropes in there that have carried on like the queenie thing and like there was there was a couple plus there was like a couple And it was the first talkie to win best you know so there's some And music yeah, yeah so, so that's something. that should move it up so yeah um I would be I can't wait to hear um like 15 movies down the line and then 20 movies down the line to see like how like happy memories we have of these horrible movies um I wonder if we'll fondly think of Cavalcade. Yeah. Uh, uh, being the last one I have seen, I can't think of a movie that's <laughs> that's worse. Maybe. We'll see. But right now, <laughs> 91. It's so bad. Led only by Broadway Melody of 1929. The Broadway Melody. Well, next time, we're actually looking to a Grand Slam film. Wait, when is it? Oh, my gosh. Frank Capra's It Happened One Night. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Yes. One of the only only three films to win the Grand Slam, but we'll talk about that next time on Cinema Cemetery. Ooh. See you guys next time. From now on, I'll go my own way.